0: This book is about the science of communication and connection. Why are we able to have great, successful conversations sometimes, and at other times, even with the same people, not connect with them? And it turns out that we're living through this golden age of understanding communication and connection, and we now understand how conversations work in a way that allows us to have them more successfully.
1: I'm Patrick J. McGinnis, and I coined the term FOMO. That's short for Fear of Missing Out and it's why some people end up following the crowd when they should be blazing a trail of their own. But if you want to achieve greatness in business and life, you've got to break free. Come on, I'll show you how. This is FOMO Sapiens, where we explore how entrepreneurial thinkers find the inspiration and the courage to build exceptional lives. Welcome to FOMO Sapiens. The Show for Entrepreneurial Thinkers. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis. And today, we are talking with a really special guest, somebody who's very esteemed, in fact. His name is Charles Duhigg. And he is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and the author of books like The Power of Habit, which spent three years on the bestseller list and has been translated to more than 40 languages and also another book called Smarter, Better, Faster, also a bestseller. And today, Charles is joining me to talk about his newest book, Super Communicators, which is out now. Just came out last week. Now, Charles writes for The New Yorker magazine. He's got a degree from Yale. He went to Harvard Business School a year ahead of me, actually. I didn't know him, though. I wish I had known him, but I know him now. And that's why I was so excited to have him on here, because I know how great he is. You probably know him, too, because he's on CNBC, This American Life, NPR, PBS NewsHour, and Frontline. So he has done it all. And his new book is an essential read for people who want to take bigger swings, which of course is all of us this season. So you are going to like it. We're going to jump right in, of course, as we always do with the same question. And so I started our conversation by asking Charles this, tell me something unexpected you learned about yourself that changed everything.
0: So, um, so, so actually, th- this has a very straightforward answer, which is, um, and it's when I was at HBS, which as, a, as an HBS grad yourself, you sort of know what that, that's like. Um, so mm. between first and second year, it, most people in business school, between first and second year, you're supposed to go get a job that summer with a company that you hope is gonna hire you once you graduate. And I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I was thinking of going back to New Mexico and going into politics. And so Ooh. I got a job that summer with a, a real estate private equity group. And um, and I spent the summer and it was wonderful people that I was working for, just like the nicest people. And what I would do is I would sit down every single day and I would I would look at um, properties that had just come on the market and I would run them through my model to see whether with something we should consider or not. And I would do like 10 to 15 spreadsheets a day, right? Like sort of like filling these in, figuring stuff out. And it was really boring. And so what I would do is I'd let myself listen to a This American Life as a reward while I was doing the spreadsheets. But this is this is like 20 years ago. So there weren't that many episodes. And so like if it was a really tough day, I'd let myself listen to two of them. But I didn't want to go through all of them because I would have run out of things to listen to. And and during that summer, I was basically trying to figure out, like, am I going to do this? Am I going to come back to New Mexico and go into politics or am I going to become a journalist? Because I had done journalism in college and had really enjoyed it. And and the journalist lifestyle is just a really interesting and fun lifestyle. And, and essentially during that summer, I decided the thing I learned about myself was I am someone who, if the future seems predictable, if it seems like I know the end of the story, it's really, really hard for me to get excited about it. Mm. And the thing about, about politics was like, I didn't know... I didn't know which ending of the story would happen, but I knew that there were three or four endings and I could see them all. Whereas a life in journalism, you actually have to do something different every single day. You have to learn something different every single day. And, and this question of how to tell stories that make people desperate to finish those stories seemed like it could interest me for the rest of my life. And so at the end of that summer, I decided to become a journalist and, and never really looked back. And I've been doing that ever since. I
1: too was a very avid listener of this American life. I would get in that (laughs) because there was an app and they give you the whole back catalog Yeah, and I too, and I was always like, and I think you've been on that show. I have not been, but I was always like, this is the, this is, this is where everything happens. And I think, you know, I'm not a journalist, but I do, you know, obviously I'm in the media space and I do think that like, I too want to be a politician. And I realized that this is far less painful (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes, <laughs> and also you get invited to more things, but and you can spread your ideas without having to go through an election. So yeah. I can understand why you made that move. But at the at the at the at the, the nexus of those two things is communication. See how I am doing yeah. a little segue here. No, that was and really, you that's have so a bad. new thank you, thanks so much. Uh, your new book, which I have in my hand, and by the way, super cool cover, super cool. Thank cover. you. It is really sweet. It's called Super Communicators. This is uh, coming out well. It's out now when we've aired the show, talk about what this book is about. Like, what is the big idea here?
0: Yeah. So the big idea is that we all have moments when we are super communicators, right? One of the best ways to describe this is like, think for a minute of the person you would call if you were having a really bad day, like the person, you know, who's just going to make you feel better. And whenever I say this, everyone knows who that person is. It pops in their mind immediately. And that person for you is a super communicator. They know how to listen to you. They know how to show that they're listening. They know how to how to sort of get get on the same wavelength as you and, and invite you to feel better or to talk about your problems. And you, you probably do that for other people sometimes, probably for that same person and for others. Mm. Or or sometimes you walk into the meeting and you know exactly what to say to win everyone over. And you just like win the meeting, right? You just you just know exactly what to do. At those moments, we are super communicators. And the reason we're so good at that is because our brains have essentially evolved to to know how to communicate with other people. Communication is human's superpower. It is the thing that has allowed us to succeed as a species. Now there are other times when you want to have a meaningful conversation with someone or you want to connect with someone and it doesn't work, right? Like something happens and it doesn't prove as rewarding as you had hoped. And the question is, why? Why is that happening at those moments? And that's what this book is about. This book is about the science of communication and connection. Why are we able to have great, successful conversations sometimes, and at other times, even with the same people, not connect with them? And it turns out that we're living through this golden age of understanding communication and connection, and we now understand how conversations work in a way that allows us to have them more successfully. You've taken on a big challenge
1: here, which is, I appreciate, which is that you're taking something, a topic that all of us probably much think we're experts in because we talk and (laughs) communicate all day long, but yet, you know, you've made the very good point. Yeah, it's a superpower for humans, but yet how often do we feel that we have failed or we just objectively fail? It's like you have that conversation with somebody, you think- that you agree that you've shared common ground, and then you find out that in fact oh, that has absolutely. not happened. It happens all right? the time, so it, right? <laughs> it's 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 innate to our lives. So talk about like let's let's get into it. So you know we're, we're, what is the root cause? We, what did you find as you looked yeah. into this space? No, like, it's what's a, going on?
0: It's a great question, and and let me describe this from my own life, right? So yeah. this would happen to me again and again. I would come home from work, and my wife would be home, and it would have been a tough day, and I would start complaining to my wife. I'd be like you know, like my boss is a jerk and my coworkers don't appreciate me. And my wife very sensibly would give me some good advice and practical advice. She'd say like, look, why don't you take your boss out to lunch? And then you guys can get to know each other a little bit better and it'll probably make things go smoother. And instead of hearing what she was telling me, instead of hearing her good advice, what I would do is inevitably I would get more upset and I'd be like, you know what? Why aren't you supporting me? And I want you to be outraged on my behalf. And then she would get frustrated because she had just given me good advice, and here I am, basically attacking her for doing so. And so, when I started working on the book, I wanted to figure out: You're right. I, I'm. A, we're communicators. I communicate for a living. Like why? Why did this keep happening? Why was I so bad at this? And so I talked to all these experts, and what they said is: Look, here's the thing that you, the mistake you're making. Most of us assume that a discussion is one thing, right? A discussion is about one topic. But actually, a discussion is made up of multiple different kinds of conversations. And in particular, there's three main types of conversations that we usually have. We usually have um, a practical conversation, right, where we're trying to like solve a problem or come up with a plan. Or we're having an emotional conversation where the goal is not to solve a problem. The goal is simply to express how I feel and hear how the other person feels, Or we're having a social conversation. And a social conversation is about how we relate to each other, how we relate to people outside of the group that we're talking to, how others see us. And they said, look, when you came home and you started complaining, you were having an emotional conversation. You were in an emotional mindset. But your wife, your wife replied with a practical conversation. And because you were having two different kinds of conversations at the same time, you couldn't hear each other, you couldn't connect. And so this has given rise to this big insight that there are these three fundamental kinds of conversations and that successful communication, successful connection occurs when we're having the same kind of conversation at the same time. Within psychology, this has actually become known as the matching principle, that in order for us to connect, we have to, have this, we have to match each other's form of conversation, which means I have to match you or I have to invite you to match me. And honestly, it has changed how I talk to my wife, to be totally honest with you, as well as everyone else in my life. Fomo. Tudo bem, meus queridos Homo sapiens. Now that right there was
1: Portuguese, and as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in 5 Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel Fomo. You know, I've had this insight. This is a. I'm going to give you like the chicken soup for the soul, sort of in the same space insight, okay. which is that somebody told me, you know, they were complaining to me about something, and I was trying to solve their problem. They said, "I don't need your help. I want to be heard and hugged." Like the three H's. Have you heard yeah. about the three H's?
0: Right. Heard, helped, and hugged.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and so now, like to your point. The when I like I was talking to my mom the other day she was telling me some stuff and I was thinking to myself I'm not going to try to help her right now I'm just going to listen and 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 we've talked about that and I say mom I'm in the H I'm I'm doing that the hearing right now but the thing that I find interesting back to your point because you're going much deeper than this this heuristic that I've just said because that's because you're Charlie Charlie Duhick is what. Whose responsibility is, is it to like, is it the speaker of the, this is it the one who's communicating the complaint to sort of put it out there? Is it the listener to intuit? Like, how do we figure out which conversation we're having?
0: Right, no, it's a really good question, and and just for anyone who's listening, so so just those three H's because they're really useful. Mm. They actually teach this in schools. So if someone comes to you with a problem or just a conversation, you can say, "Do you want to be heard? Do you want to be helped, or do you want to be hugged?" And those are actually the three different kinds of conversations, right? So mm. if I if I say, "Do you want to be heard?" I'm asking you like, do you want to have like a social conversation where you want me mm. to validate what you're saying? If if you say, I want to be hugged, then that's an emotional conversation. Yeah. And and it means that you want me to give you a hug to help you. And if mm. you want to be helped, then it means it's a practical conversation. You want a solution to this problem. Yeah. And and so just so the question you asked is a really good one. Like, whose responsibility is this? And the answer is, it's everyone's responsibility, right? We should always be trying to figure out what kind of conversation we're having. Now, that being said... You only can control you, right? We have all been in conversations where we need to be the super communicator. Yeah. And our listener is not as talented as we are mm. at thinking about conversation, having conversations. And so in those cases, when when we feel a little bit more obligation to do this, what we should do is we should listen. What, what kind of conversation does this person want to have? But then also signal to them what kind of conversation we want to have. Invite them to match us. And that's really what the book is about, is it's about how to detect and diagnose the kind of conversation that's occurring and then the skills you need to match them. And then how do you invite someone else to match you? Because sometimes you want them to be on your wavelength instead of just on their wavelength.
1: Now, you mentioned that doing this work, it's great. Like when you write a book, you have no excuse to mess up on the thing that you Yes. supposedly. Have, <laughs> so you really have to like it's like when it comes to like FOMO, like I have to be it's I, I have no excuse. I should really you know, manage that well. And, and same here. How has you, you mentioned it's changed the way you work. Take us into a workplace situation and sh- show us how that plays out
0: yeah. for you okay well uh, let me do that in two ways first i'll describe sure. a study that's described in the book and the, and the book is filled okay. with stories there's a story about a cia recruiter who has to recruit overseas agents and and is terrible at it at first or a story about mm-hmm. netflix and netflix mm-hmm. dealing with this um this sort of like this uh internal controversy after a, a senior executive used the use a racial slur in a meeting oh. but but just to tell you about one study in the book there's mm-hmm. this um there was this This investment bank where this was like the most investment bank investment bank possible, right? It was this place where like people competed against each other all day long. They competed for deals. They competed for bonuses. They were at each other's throats. It was not uncommon for meetings to devolve into screaming matches. And so these two researchers come into this investment bank and what they do is they say, okay, for the next week, what we're going to ask you to do is we're going to give everyone these index cards Before every single meeting, just write down one sentence on the index card. And the point of that sentence is to say what your goal is for this meeting and what mood or tone you hope to achieve. And Mm -hmm. so people would write things down. They'd write things down like, you know, I I wanna figure out the budget for next year, but I wanna give everyone a chance to like vent and get things off their chest. Or, Or I wanna ask Maria if she wants to take a vacation with me, but I wanna make it easy for her to say no. I don't want it to be like weird and awkward. So people would write these downs. Sometimes they'd go into the meeting and they'd read their card. Most of the times they did not. And what the researchers found is that the incidence of screaming matches, disagreements, negative emotion went down 80% during that week in those meetings. Wow. And the reason why is because they had asked every single person just to figure out what kind of conversation do you want to have? Right. And, what kind of mood do you want to bring to this and simply getting people to clarify that for themselves made it easier for them to express that to other people and so when they went into the meeting they would say like look i don't want i want to give us all a chance to get things off our chests i don't want us to get into a fight here but my goal is to figure out what the budget is for next year or maria do you want to come on vacation with me but by the way if you don't want to that's totally fine i'm not going to be offended once we know what kind of conversation we want, it becomes easier for us to detect what kind of conversation other people want and invite them to match us. That is very powerful. So I guess if you're going in, like
1: let's, let's play this out though. So imagine, Charles, that, let's, let's, let's do this like real, real time. So your okay. you're, you're, you're book's out and you have, a, you have a publisher and the publisher had a promo plan and you're not happy. With some of the stuff, yeah. and you want to have a conversation with them that doesn't have that doesn't create. You don't want to tee them off because then you're going to mess up the relationship, and they're probably going to like not do what you want. But you want to express displeasure and also, you know, you want to be able to have a
0: result that makes you feel good. How would you do that conversation? So the first thing I would do is ask questions. And in fact, what we know from research is that people who who are super communicators on a regular basis, people who kind of intuit or have learned this stuff and really think about it, they tend to ask. 10 to 20 times as many questions as other people. Mm -hmm. But the questions aren't often obvious. It's the questions like, what do you think of that? Or like, huh, that's interesting. How'd you come to that? Or like, you know, did that surprise you? They're these small questions. But what they do is they invite the other person to explain something about themselves. So the first thing I would do is I would ask them questions about what their goals are for this marketing campaign. And I would also try and ask what are known as deep questions. And a deep question is a question that invites the other person to talk about their values, their beliefs, or their experiences. So I might start by saying like, Hey, can you tell me, like, can you tell me how you came to this idea about this marketing plan? And then my follow-up might be something like when you've worked on campaigns like this in the past, how has that approach worked? Like, do you feel like it's done something important? Or I might say, how did, you know we've we've looked at your marketing plan here like just tell me like what does this mean to you like why do you what why does this seem like the right plan like walk me through that both of those they don't seem yeah. like deep questions right but they are deep questions because they're inviting the other person to expose something about themselves to be a little bit vulnerable with me now they might not care like what my judgment is. But but the act of being a little bit more vulnerable, it makes us feel closer to the other person. And for me, the person who's asking the questions, what it does is it lets me see what their deeper goal is. Right? Like if they say something like, "Look, we're doing this because in the past we've we've tried different campaigns and some of them have worked and some of them really haven't and we're really afraid of making a mistake." Then I know Okay, actually, your top goal is avoiding a mistake. And that might be different from my top goal. My top goal might be I'm willing to to take on the risk of mistakes as long as I can, as long as I might knock it out of the park. Now we understand each other's deeper goals. So I would start by asking those questions. And then what I would do is I'd do something called looping for understanding. It's a three-part process. And it's actually been shown the most effective way to prove to someone that you're listening to them and make sure that you're hearing them accurately. What I would do is I would ask them that question. That's step one. Step two is I would repeat back to them what I just heard them say in my own words, right? I would process it and I would try and tell them what I heard them say. And then the third step, and this is the most important step and the one that we often forget, is I would say to them, did I get that right? Because by asking them, did I get that right, you're doing two things. First of all, you're giving them some power in this conversation. You're giving them the ability to show that you're trying to match them, and now you're inviting them to match you. And number two, very often we do misunderstand what someone tells us, right? Either because they've done a bad job of explaining it or because we didn't hear them accurately. And so by saying to them, did I get that right? It gives me a chance to figure out, am I actually hearing what the person is saying to me? And if I did those two things, if I start that conversation by asking some questions, in particular deep questions, And then I loop for understanding to show them that I'm listening and to make sure that we at least agree on what has been said. At that point, the rest of the conversation is going to be much, much easier. FOMO. FOMO. That sounds powerful because
1: what I hear is strategy, instead of being reactive. Instead of because what I think what happens a lot of times in a conversation that we're that's difficult or where we have emotion or we're disappointed is that even though we may have the, we may ask those questions, we then, we don't, we're not prepared to listen because we're coming from an emotional place, not from an analytical place, right? How does one prep for the convo? Like you're going in to see your boss to have that, you know, conversation that you might be a little fraught about. What is the prep that you
0: would recommend to folks? Well, I think what most people do is they figure out what they want to say right mm-hmm. like i'm going to go into my boss and i'm going to tell my boss why i deserve this raise and i want to get across these three points and that's good we should know what we want to say but we should also know what we want to ask because if we're just focused on what we say we're not listening to what the other person says right we're just waiting for our turn to speak and so what's really important is to sit down and i would i would say the first thing you should do is just write that sentence what's your goal for this conversation? What mood do you hope to achieve? Okay. So once we know that you've got a little bit more time, let's think a little bit more deeply about how that conversation is going to go. You already know the things you want to say, right? How you're going to make your case. But what are you going to ask your boss that's going to help you understand from their perspective why they might be resistant to this? Right. And the goal of those questions is not to like set them up. The goal of those questions is to genuinely learn because your boss has some perspective and you want to understand it. So, what are the three questions that you want to ask that you think, based on what you hear, might influence how you make your case? And then, in addition to all of that, if you have a little bit of extra time, I think at that point you can sit down and you can sort of say to yourself, okay, what are the obstacles that I'm probably going to encounter? And when I encounter them, what am I going to do? Because what we know is that most tough conversations, right, where people get messed up is when they hit an, an obstacle. They, they're so afraid of discomfort that they shy away from it. There's a great study in the paper about um, conversations between college friends, one of which is black and one of which is white. And they have a bunch of people have these conversations, but with half of them, they take them and they say to them, Discomfort during conversations like this is normal. It's inevitable. It does not mean that the conversation is going badly. In fact, just the opposite. It means that this conversation is a normal conversation. What we want you to do is identify three potential obstacles that might emerge during this conversation and just tell us in one sentence what you're gonna do if that obstacle emerges. And what they found is that not only did people's anxiety go down significantly, but actually they began to see that discomfort as an opportunity, because it really is, right? Every tough conversation has a little bit of discomfort, and the goal is not to erase the discomfort. The goal is to see the discomfort as an opportunity for us to get closer together. But if it catches you off guard, if you haven't thought about it ahead of time, that's really hard.
1: Yeah, the discomfort, if you can become comfortable asking the, you know, having the difficult conversation, asking the tricky question, responding it is very powerful because it's like you're going to the you're you're the astronaut that's willing to go to the moon when other people just want to stay in you know florida or whatever yeah now now one thing that's kind of interesting about this it just made me think is i love to do role plays like i think role plays are a very interesting way to practice these skills and i was just thinking you know for folks who want to try this out like i know it's a little crazy but chat gpt i bet you could try these things out on chat gpt
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you could and you could tell chat GPT like actually there's um there's a negotiation bot that mm-hmm. like um, a, a professor at Yale has created one and I think chat GPT just released one. You can create AI interfaces to basically kind of challenge you the way that you're anticipating they will. And and I think that's a good way to practice. I, but you can also practice with friends, right? You can say like, "Well, that would that would require
1: you to call people on the phone." And you know, it's twenty twenty three. We don't do that.
0: That's anymore. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but you could just be like, "Look, I'm going to go ask for a I'm going to go ask for a, a, a raise." Like like role play this with me. Yeah. But but the truth is that even, the reason why role playing is helpful is because it usually forces us to clarify what we really totally. want to ask for and and how we're going to react to to obstacles. And we don't need a partner to do that. A partner's really useful. But, mm-hmm. but if we just sit down and we push ourselves to think through this conversation, basically, before you open your mouth, you should sort of ask yourself, why am I opening my mouth? Like, like what do I hope to accomplish after we have this discussion? And and equally, like, what kind of conversation do I want to have? Because if I'm talking to my wife, I might want to have an emotional conversation. If I'm asking for a raise, which seems like a practical conversation, I might actually realize, no, this is an emotional conversation. Like the issue is that I don't think my boss values me enough, that they don't they don't respect me enough. And and that's the thing that we need to talk about and explain to him the way you show respect is through my salary, which is a very different conversation from, look, I can earn more money somewhere else, so you need to raise my salary. But if you don't know why you're having that conversation, what kind of conversation you want to have. It's going to be really messy.
1: Yeah, it's the 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 role play is the hack that forces you to reverse engineer all the things that Charles is telling us to do that we could just do anyway. So, it's a very instructive viewpoint. Now, I do want to go to this 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 memory I have because one of the things that 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 you talk about is like how do we talk so that people will listen? And I the first time we met, I went to see you talk about your second book, Smarter, Better, right, Faster. Yeah. And, um, and you, unfortunately you had like these tech problems with your, with your presentation. I think you were doing a <laughs> keynote and it was, it was quite complex, but you powered through. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I need to learn how to do this because the way he's speaking, people listen to this guy. And if I want to get into this business and, you know, do some of this stuff too, I need to learn this. And I think it is such a skill people and we just recently had in the show a guy called Matt Abraham's a smart of yeah. think Fast Talk Smart who's wonderful and you know this is kind of his his space and so i've been thinking a lot about how now we all have like everybody's got a platform now basically even if you have 40 followers on instagram you got a platform and so therefore the importance of being able to speak in a way that people actually listen has never been probably higher in human history. So talk about what your findings were on that front and how we can implement those. In
0: yeah, and it's really, so there's a story in the book about um about this jury, right? So this is a, th- there's not that many cases where a jury has been recorded as they go through their deliberations. There's actually only seven of them in the history of the United States, but but wow. I was able, able to get my hands on on the transcripts and the videotapes of one of them. And, and it's this guy who's on trial on, and this one juror is essentially a super communicator, and he figures out how to get everyone aligned around a non not guilty verdict. And what's interesting is that, first of all, there's a couple of ways he does it. First of all, he asks a lot of questions. And that's one of the things I do from the stage is I ask people questions. And it's, sometimes it's questions where I ask them to answer from the audience. Sometimes it's just questions that I ask them to answer within their own head. But, but that's, that's the first step to engaging people is to get them it's thinking about questions and answering those questions because then they feel invested in the conversation. And then what he does is he basically starts listening for what people want. And it turns out in this jury room, there's some people who basically want to talk about justice and they want to talk about right and wrong. And then there's other people who want to talk about safety and rule of law and the right and wrong people those are they're people who are like having a social conversation they're having a conversation about how society works and then the 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 safety people the people who talk about like you know letter of the law they they're practical conversationalists they want to talk about like if we put this guy away will it bring down crime and what this one guy john boley the super communicator recognizes is i have to have different kinds of conversations with these two groups and so when he matches them he speaks in a way that they really respond to. Because the truth of the matter is that like, if we're an emotional mindset, if we want to have an emotional conversation and someone signals to us that they're on our wavelength, then we want to hear them. Like we want to listen to them, particularly if they say something vulnerable. So if if people say something intimate and personal, if they tell a story about themselves or someone else, it's almost impossible not to listen to them. Like, we're actually hardwired to pay very, very close attention to anyone who exposes anything about themselves or tells a story that seems a little bit vulnerable, even if it's about someone else. So that's the other thing I do in speeches, is I tell a lot of stories. Because those stories enchant people. They get people to listen to me. We can't, we can't not listen to a story. And the reason why those stories are so important and so m- meaningful is because not only are they interesting but because they seem to tell us something vulnerable about the world or something deeper about the world. And that feels really rewarding.
1: Now, did this guy, this juror who was so talented, this super communicator, was he strategizing or was this just innate in who he is as a communicator?
0: I think it's a little bit of both, right? Like Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, and again, all of us have this capacity. All of us are super communicators. We are all super communicators. For many of us, it just happens randomly, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. we can do it and sometimes we can't. We don't know why and we don't know the difference. But there are some people, and that's kind of the goal of this book, who have thought about this just a little bit more deeply and they know how to tap into those skills. They know how to let their instincts come out better. And I think for John Boley, I think he knew that being on a jury is really important. It's a big, mm-hmm. it's a big, serious commitment. And so part of it was instinct, but part of it was him wanting to do the right thing. But also he just paid more attention. He, like, it, it can sound like a lot, like a, trying to figure out in my head, like what kind of conversation are we having and what's my goal and what's your goal? But the truth of the matter is, once we know what to look for, it becomes very automatic, it becomes very instinctual. Asking deep questions, once we've practiced a little bit, becomes automatic and instinctual. And I think for John Boley, that's exactly what happened. He just He just let his instincts go. And his and because his instincts had been trained to look for what kind of conversation is happening, he did a better job of connecting with people. All right, Charles, so it's time for the
1: lightning round. Okay. Are you ready? You ready I'm for the lightning round? Yes. All right. This is a chance to to show us how smart you are and and we've been seeing <laughs> it for the last thirty minutes. So even more. All right. <laughs> might, no pressure disappointing. But here we go. <laughs> I got four questions for you. Four okay. questions so the first one. Let's start with the first one. Tell me a favorite quote or mantra.
0: Ooh, a favorite quote or mantra. Okay, so this is the one Mm -hmm. I tell my kids all the time. It is only a mistake if you don't learn from it. And I actually believe this deeply. The truth is, like, I make so many mistakes every single day. And you can get down on yourself so easily. But if you say, like, look, as long as I learned something from this, it's not really a mistake. Then all of a sudden it makes things better. (laughs) And it forces you to actually learn something from it. I love that one. Okay, number 2. What is your favorite productivity hack? Ooh, my favorite productivity hack. Oh gosh. Um You know, actually, this is terrible, but like I respond to emails as soon as they come in because like Me that way too. or, or, or oh, well, I have we're two modes. <laughs> I have two modes. Either I respond to emails right away Or I let them build up for two or three days, and then I respond Mm -hmm. to them. And, like, I find both of those are great hacks because it sort of reflects, like, what frame of mind I'm in. Okay, number three. What is one book that every FOMO sapiens should read? Ooh, that's a great question. Okay, I'm going to give you two answers. The first is um, on... The Varieties of Religious Experience by William James. William James is the Ooh. father of American psychology. Um, and yes. there's one chapter in particular called The the Religion of Happy-Mindedness about like what kind of an attitude is needed to be just happy, like independent of the events around you. And I found that to be really powerful. But then the second book I would recommend is A Visit from the Goon Squad by Jennifer Egan, which is just it's a novel and it's just a wonderful book. I have never heard either of these. I feel
1: embarrassed. Oh, they're great. (laughs) Okay. Great. You're here for a (laughs) treat. Final one. Now we're getting all spiritual or not spiritual, but just deep. What's one piece of advice you give to your younger self?
0: Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, honestly, I think that the advice I would have given is to be kinder. Like every Mm. time I've made a real mistake in my life, every time that like, it's actually been a mistake. It's usually because I was not kind enough to another person. And I find that that if I bring if I try and bring kindness to my interactions with others, that even if I screw something up, it usually turns out okay. All right. So if you want to find out more about
1: Charles, you can find him at his website. It's charlesduhig.com. You can also write him an email, he will respond. Maybe right away, maybe in three days, charles <laughs> at Duhigg.com and check out the book, super communicators, because my big takeaway here is if you do a little work communication, if we got communication, right? Like most of the world's problems would be solved and it's certainly you can improve your day-to-day life. So go check out the book, Charles duhig author of super communicators. Thank you so much for being here.
0: Thanks for having me. FOMO.
1: If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMOSapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com.